0: I think the thing about my writing on Facebook is that I try to be incredibly personally vulnerable and it's hard but it's also like kind of like a weird external therapy for me I get to process my feelings with other people and that's really I think what has made people listen to me or like want to hear what I have to say about things.
1: Welcome to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. I'm your host, Leah Lem.
2: And I'm your other host, Colt Cremo. So thank you for joining us. Uh, Simply put, Native Lights is a place for Native folks to tell their stories. Each week we have conversations with a variety of great guests, and we're hearing about their gifts, how they realize those gifts, and how they are now sharing them with their community. That and a whole lot more. Mm -hmm. So how are you doing, Leah?
1: I'm fine. I'm hunkering down.
2: I basically call this a stay at home junior cuz I mean it's basically the same thing, right?
1: I think so. <laughs> at, at least this time we kind of have a couple things figured out, but there are so many more cases this time. It seems like it's more serious. I mean, I mean it's it's been serious this whole time, don't get me wrong, but now it seems like it's like right at our door mm. even here in um, greater minnesota where there are fewer of us per square mile
2: definitely i was also curious your thoughts on representative deb uh, holland from new mexico possibly being pushed as an interior secretary uh, her being appointed would be you know the first native american uh, cabinet secretary in us history so i was just wondering if you were looking at into that business at all
1: i don't like to speculate but I like to hope, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> and I like to wish and be like, "Ooh, who would be on my dream team?" You know, and I feel like Deb Holland would be so, so good in whatever role she gets, and if it's interior secretary, hope would well, be awesome. <laughs> yeah,
2: of course. Uh, <laughs> How about you, no, Cole? Well, I mean, it would be amazing. I mean, after I mean the election that we had, where you know more and more Native representatives are being elected, it's just great to see that it continuing to progress with. You know her being pushed to well, not pushed, being endorsed, yeah. But I also saw that uh, our lieutenant governor uh, Peggy Flanagan also endorsed her, and yeah, it's just like a growing, a, a growing campaign it seems. Um, and mm. I mean, that might be announced within a few days if if that happens. So
1: yeah, for sure. And and I know you're on top of all of this stuff. You are like, you know, in the news and. Reading the press releases and on the social medias, and yeah. I'm a bit slow on the upkeep when I, um, c- because I'm I'm less connected,
2: plugged into uh, the digital data stream,
1: <laughs> plugged into the matrix. <laughs> no, I, I I definitely respect and admire those who can like really keep up and be like in the know um, by the minute. But I my brain just would go a mile a minute and. <laughs> <laughs>
2: It's kind of where our episode is heading today, Uh, social media and the digital space. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a big part of the native community nowadays. And of course, with that, there are arguments on whether or not it's beneficial or detrimental to the community.
1: Just like any tool, I suppose. You know, you can use an axe to chop wood or (laughs) hit your toe with it.
2: (laughs) I love that analogy, especially since I know you guys are chopping wood up there to...
1: (laughs) Yep, we to sure heat, are. Eat the old
2: home, <laughs> um, but yeah, that one thing that cannot be ne- denied about the power of social media and you know the internet is bringing people together, being an organizing tool mm-hmm. for advancing native issues and keeping everybody informed and health and other important issues, of course. So I'm excited that we're talking to Ashley Fairbanks today. She's an Anishinaabe artist, organizer, designer, and digital strategist and the creative director for the 100% campaign, uh, which is working to build equitable, clean energy to Minnesota's economy. She's also worked in the political world, recently serving as Congresswoman Ilhan Omar's digital director. And uh, she grew up in South Minneapolis, studied Ojibwe language at the University of Minnesota, which is awesome because I also did that, and I know Leah's taken Ojibwe classes too, and also political science. Um, And I believe she's staying in San Antonio, Texas at the moment, but she's been deeply involved in Minnesota's Native community. And here she is. First off, uh, Bouju, thank you for joining us. Boozhoo. Could you just uh, start by introducing yourself?
0: Asanaikwe, Indigenous cause, Adjajaka Uh My name is Ashley. I'm from the Crane Clan. Uh, I'm from White Earth in northern Minnesota, but I grew up in Minneapolis, and I live in San Antonio, Texas now.
2: We like to, you know, first see how you're doing. How are you doing during the pandemic, during mm-hmm all the craziness that is the the virus and just today's world.
0: Yeah, I'm doing pretty great. Um, thankfully things for me didn't change a lot uh, during the pandemic because mm. my job was already remote. I work on a campaign mm. in Minnesota, even though I live here in Texas um, and it did change a lot in terms of like, you know, going outside and doing anything or seeing people. Um, but thankfully I have a, a great partner and we spend our days laughing and making good food and, watching bad movies um (laughs) (laughs) can't go wrong with that and i'm very happy to be in texas because i don't i don't know how i'd be surviving right now uh in winter weather uh but it's it's (laughs) nice it's 80 degrees outside right now so
1: oh
2: man (laughs)
0: jealous
2: (laughs) but yeah talking about you know how you're spending your time i saw because i did a a, just a quick dive on your twitter i saw that you have like an air fryer (laughs)
0: the air fryer I thought was completely unnecessary. Uh, and then, uh, my like we based, we house sat for my partner, uh, at at his mom's house and she had an air fryer. And so we started using it there and I was like, this thing makes the best pizza rolls I've ever had in my life. Uh, (laughs) sometimes you just like, especially during quarantine, sometimes you just need a pizza roll, you know? Uh, Mm. and then I found out you could make vegetables in it and the vegetables are so good. Like, and it's so fast. Like the other night we made Brussels sprouts uh, and they were so crunchy and delicious and a little like caramelized mm. with some oh. balsamic vinegar. Um, so yeah, veggies has been really great okay. lately. Broccolini too. We made some broccolini and garlic. Mm. Tonight I'm going to make some Manomen, uh, not in the air fryer, but <laughs> make, some, <laughs> make some green beans to go with it in there. Oh, It's going to be so good. See,
1: I asked my I asked my spouse for a, he asked me what I wanted for Christmas I said an air fryer to cook Brussels sprouts in. <laughs>
0: <laughs> They're perfect. It's like there's no other better way on the planet of cooking Brussels sprouts.
1: See now, I'm convinced. <laughs> and maybe occasionally pizza roll. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
2: uh, so you uh, you said you grew up in uh, South Minneapolis. Could you just tell us a little bit more about you know growing up in South Minneapolis and you know in into a big Ojibwe family.
0: Yeah. Um, I uh, So I, I'm my, my dad is Ojibwe. My mom is a second generation Norwegian immigrant. Uh, and I grew up on the West Bank of Minneapolis. I'm one of like 40 first cousins in my family. And uh, after my mom married a native guy, my uh, family decided they didn't want to be in our lives anymore. So I only grew up with my Ojibwe family, which is awesome because they're fantastic. I have eight aunties, like, it's a blessing.
2: There you
0: go. Most of the time. <laughs> uh I have lived within like looking distance of the Mississippi until I moved here my entire life. I love the I love the river. And I also grew up just like deeply within the Southside Native community uh that is very rooted uh in just like pride of our culture and activism, the legacy of the American Indian movement um, and things that have became, uh, came out before and after it. So I feel really lucky in that way. Minneapolis is obviously such a unique community for native folks. I was trying to explain to people, there's like being like an urban Indian, there's like being like a res Indian. And then there's like being from Minneapolis. Like we have a very, you know, there's a few cities in the country who have urban native communities like we do, but uh, I feel like it's, it's pretty awesome. And I feel very lucky to have grown up there.
2: Nice, mm. and it was it was funny because when we were getting ready to do this interview, I was thinking about the last name Fairbanks and how I see it a lot with in Ojib you know Ojibwe people that I know, and I saw that you posted something on the Fairbanks name. Could you tell us about that?
0: So, um, our our family history. Uh, one good thing about having a big family is that someone else has done all the research for you. Uh, and so on ancestry.com, like our our family history goes all the way back to the 1500s in England. and the first Fairbankses came to the United States uh, in like the 1620s and they built the oldest standing wood frame house in the country in in Massachusetts. It's still there. It's called the, the Fairbanks House. And they have like a big reunion every year there for, for all the Fairbankses, but it's for all the white Fairbankses. And I always think it'd be really funny just to show up with a huge bus full of full of Native Fairbankses and be like, "Hey, we're the other half of the family!" Like, because so some of them split off and became fur traders uh, and wound up in Michigan and Minnesota oh. uh, back in the 18th century, and so that was how we first first became Ojibwe Fairbankses.
2: Awesome,
1: that's fascinating. You just just tell everybody, bring a dish, and you'll be. <laughs> <laughs>
0: right in <laughs> yeah we're, we're mostly at like red lake leech lake and white earth i think is where you find most fairbanks is and obviously in yeah. minneapolis with my giant family
1: you're listening to native lights where indigenous voices shine native lights is produced by minnesota native news and ampers with support from the minnesota arts and cultural heritage fund today we're hearing from ashley fairbanks an anishinaabe artist organizer and digital strategist who grew up in south minneapolis
2: so what inspired, you know, your move to uh, Texas?
0: Yeah, uh, I actually uh, moved here to be the creative director on the Julian Castro campaign. Oh. So I was super lucky uh, to get to work for Ilhan. Um, and then afterwards, uh, pretty much jumped on with Julian a few months after that campaign was over. Um I was really excited to come be a part of it because it was one of the few presidential campaigns in history uh, led by a black woman, um, and almost all of our senior staff were pe- were women of color. Uh, so it was just a really awesome opportunity. Uh, Julian is great, and it was it was very awesome. I got to actually help uh, write like the first comprehensive American Indian policy plan on a presidential campaign, wow. and right after we released ours. Uh, all the other campaigns started coming out with them. Uh, the Warren campaign, uh, Senator Sanders. Uh, so it's pretty cool to be a part of. And I stayed because I found a boy, which is usually part of the story, right? <laughs> Very good.
2: Awesome. Awesome. So what was your reaction, you know, to just to the election in general? I mean, that's a big question, but is it, <laughs> was it a relief after it was all said and done?
0: Yeah, I feel like I can kind of finally talk about it because, you know, Joe Biden got elected and there was such a rallying cry for everyone to kind of like shut up until we got rid of Trump. And now I think there's a lot of room for more progressive folks to really uh, hold the Biden administration accountable and say that, you know, you can't walk away from from everything that we believe in. It's pretty tough to go through a primary cycle where you have the most diverse slate of candidates in history and come out at the end with a, you know, 78-year-old white male. And I think that there's a lot of pain and processing that has to be done around that. And I think that also there has to be a lot of careful analysis done of things because, you know, we won at the top of the ticket, like Biden got elected, but we lost everywhere down from that basically. Mm -hmm. And thankfully made some gains in the Senate, right? Hopefully we can pick up a two seats in Georgia, that'd be amazing. But there's so much work that has to be done uh, at state and local and congressional levels, because uh, all of those down ballot races kind of just got, got forgotten. I don't want to say that and like diminish the work that uh, people did incredible work. But like, there has to be analysis of why we didn't win those races.
1: Ashley, I'm curious. Um, how did you like get into this work, but in more of a personal way? Like, what, what <laughs> motivates you to do this?
0: So I grew up kind of uh, like in this weird public housing complex uh, down by the river in Minneapolis. And it was mostly single moms who went to the University of Minnesota, which is uh, my mom was going to the U when I was a kid. So I grew up with all of these pretty radical, awesome, like hippie women around me in in a neighborhood that's dominated by like anarchist co-ops and like a lot of really weird uh, things that I didn't know were weird until I was older. (laughs) Uh, If you've never been to the West Bank of Minneapolis, like it's, it's a very different place. Anyway, so I grew up just pretty financially unstable and sometimes like housing insecure and sometimes our electricity would get shut off. And meanwhile, I was also going to, I, I went to St. Paul Academy. Uh, which is like oh, wow. one of the most expensive private schools in Minnesota. Yeah. Uh, my mom actually grew up, like her parents are really wealthy. And so she's very good at like navigating systems, uh, even though, so we had no money, but she was really good at getting us free stuff. Uh, so mm. I went to this awesome school. And so I like had this kind of front row seat to class inequity uh, and yeah. seeing like what things were like for my classmates, you know, people who like their wealth could not be, overestimated (laughs) Like they're the wealthiest people in the state and they, you know, own major Mm -hmm. hotels and the Vikings at the time and like all kinds of different things. So, and then also just having like a very, very white, white mom and having a dark skinned native dad. Like I also got to see that too, like every day. Right. It's so, I, I think from a very young age, I've cared a lot about injustice. Um, and in high school, I got really active in youth and government, which is actually like a, a YMCA program. Oh, cool. And uh, Model United Nations. Um, I went to this really weird hippie school where there's no classes. Um, so like you make projects for everything. And then your work like you can go out and work in the community and get school credit for it. And so in high school, uh, I, I worked on a lot of political campaigns. Um, my first campaign I ever worked on, I, I volunteered for the Wellstone campaign when I was 13 years old. And then I, uh, in high school, worked on Natives for Kerry, <laughs> for John Kerry. Oh. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and I was really active in like, the, the youth Democrats and all kinds of different things. Uh, but then also like in more activist spaces, uh, you know, working on like worker rights and environmentalism kind of stuff so actually my senior year of, of high school, uh, my family's house got foreclosed on. And so I ended up not going to college and I went and dealt blackjack for two years mm-hmm. uh, at Mystic mm-hmm. Lake. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. And then I got laid off and I was on an, on unemployment during the financial crisis in 2009. And so when that happened, they gave free tuition to people who were on unemployment. And so I got back into the university of Minnesota and you know, got my degree, interned for Keith Ellison, and got back into politics. And it all went forward from there. Uh, I think I'm so happy, though, that that happened to me that way, because it really rooted me in like a true working class experience that, you know, as an adult, which is different than just like growing up in poverty, uh, like having to try to make it for yourself and not making it, and then having to make it through college with like, no money at all. that I think uh, Mm -hmm. allows me to do much more like grounded organizing work today than if I would have uh, like my original plan, my senior year of high school before that our house got foreclosed was like to like go to Dartmouth or Smith or like Harvard. I went out and looked at all the schools on the East coast. Um, But when our house got foreclosed, my mom moved away and like I didn't even know how to apply for college without any money. Um, And so Mm -hmm. I'm, like I said, I'm just super thankful uh, that I had an experience that allows me to, to understand more of what it's like to be an adult who doesn't, doesn't have resources.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that there. I feel like there are a lot of, a lot of things you just talked about that I think I can relate to. Maybe Cole can too. I, I went to call, I went to a college out East and it was because of Indian ed and like, my parents being like, you should look for something, you know, like not exactly knowing, but like knowing how to, how to look <laughs> you know what I mean? Like not knowing the details, but knowing how that you need to look for something, um, and those little things, those those big things, I guess, that add up to you know a future that has an under, rooted understanding in you know understanding racism and understanding um, not having that much money. Yeah, but it's 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 a significant experience to have and carry forward in your work.
0: Well, and I think that there's a a trope that like a lot of folks not to say anything like Swath statements about people who like, especially like gifted and talented native kids. Right. I think we often get tracked in this area where we can like try to be like white saviors in our own community. And mm-hmm. that's something that I feel like without the experience I had, it would have been hard to avoid that for me. Cause I was told going to private school from a very young age, right. Like, and I know a lot of Native kids, especially who got tracked into private schools or who went to mm-hmm. Ivy League schools, like, were told that we are the solution for our community. And it took, like, my mm-hmm. entire 20s to unlearn that, like, to learn that, like, our communities actually have their own solutions. And, like, we are, because of our education, like, we're lucky and we can go back and help the, like, them figure out their own power um, and help mm-hmm. give them tools. But really, like, it, yeah, it's, it's such a good, like, experience to not not believe that anymore.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you for saying that. That's that's a, a really, really important perspective.
2: You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. And today we're hearing from Ashley Fairbanks, an Anishinaabe artist, organizer, and digital strategist who grew up in South Minneapolis. The first time I actually heard your name was you know, with other people mentioning like, oh, Ashley Fairbanks posted this cool, uh, great take on Twitter. And I'm just curious, like, do you consider yourself a social media savvy person? Like, and how do you use it to express yourself and advance the causes you're supporting?
0: Well, it it is my job to be social media savvy. Uh, So (laughs) I hope I am because otherwise I'm ripping off some of my clients. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I also just kind of, I love the project of it. Like I love storytelling at its core is what I think that a lot of social media could be if it was good. And so I love, especially when there's like a new thing that comes up, uh, you know, like when TikTok first emerged of watching how people use that to tell different stories. Mm -hmm. I think it's so interesting for the native community, the way that like the native TikTok community has developed. We're like much more present in a public way on TikTok than I think we ever have been on a social platform. Mm -hmm. So that's really exciting. I did like the way that I have come to, I don't, I don't want to (laughs) like too Minnesotan to say it, but like the way I've come to have any sort of influence or like be able to speak from a position of power is definitely almost a hundred percent built on my Facebook platform, which is really weird. Uh, like I have 5,000 Facebook friends and like 10,000 Facebook followers and, Uh, I've just cultivated a really awesome space of folks who share my politics and have been able to leverage that to do some really awesome organizing work. Like during Standing Rock, I think from my Facebook followers, we raised like $43,000. Cool. And have funded like numerous GoFundMes. This month alone, like on, on my Twitter, which has become a lot bigger platform for me in the past year, because I got verified <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. in this month on Twitter. I think I've uh, reallocated about $8,500 to native folks on indigenous people's day. And a few times since then, uh, just by doing like by promoting people's mm. uh, go fund and stuff. So mm. that's been really awesome. People will give me money that they wouldn't give to uh, like poor native people. Cause people are jerks, <laughs> you know? So like mm. I can say I can take that money, and I have enough trust from my followers that they uh, that they know that I will be passing that money on. Yeah, social media has been like that, that's where where I've, I've built a name for myself. I guess
2: um, Ashley, when did you realize all these you know gifts that you have and that you wanted to use them to benefit the native community?
0: After I went, went to college, um, I got a fellowship with the Minnesota Historical Society, and I spent my first few years at a college designing museum exhibits at the history center. Um, and I was kind of content doing that. And then I got a job as a policy aide on the city council and my life like dramatically changed course. But after I was a policy aide, I went and worked at Native American organization on Franklin Avenue. And it was kind of like in my time there. Uh, my time there was rough and we dealt with sexual harassment from our executive director. Before that, I really didn't have like any sort of public persona but I really was vocal about it online. Our board didn't do anything about it. And, you know, this person had impacted like several native women and was still in our community and it really bothered me. And so I spoke out about it and it was hard. And honestly, it still impacts the way that I can be in Minneapolis because so many people were mad that I was like airing the dirty laundry of our community. But after that, I kind of never could put it back in the bottle. Like I was like, I want to talk about all the things that make me mad. And so that's kind of what I first started doing was like talking about injustice in our city and in our community. And I think the thing about my writing on Facebook is that I try to be incredibly personally vulnerable and it's hard, but it's also like kind of like a weird external therapy for me. I get to process my feelings with other people. And that's really, I think, what has made people listen to me or like want to hear what I have to say about things, which pushed me to to say more and to do more, to, you know, go work on policy or work on big campaigns and feel like I can speak pretty boldly and encourage candidates to really be as bold as possible uh, and make themselves vulnerable because I think people, you know, connect more. With folks when they are when they're being vulnerable, mm-hmm. um, so that that that's really it. Like I uh, had this terrible thing happen in my life, and it was just like I can continue working at the same nonprofits and being a quiet little person, or I can really fully utilize the space that I'm being given. It still feels like a real gift that people give me that anyone cares that I have to say.
2: That's great, and it, I like that whole vulnerability aspect because I mean, if you're not saying anything. Of you know that it's personal to you on social media, and people aren't going to really connect to that. So, lastly, I was just curious, you know, if there are any uh, campaigns, issues that you're going to be working on uh, in the future.
0: Um, I'm working on a project to help train leftist folks on how to run for office in the most effective way possible. Um, I'm trying to write a book, that's crazy. Oh, um. I'm very into the idea of politics and science fiction going together. So like the idea that there has never been a just world for people of color, like, and white people living together, like we have only ever been dominated and systems have only ever oppressed us. Um, So I love the idea of like Afrofuturism and like native futurist science fiction uh, that imagines like a more just world for us. Um, I love thinking about, you know, how could our people live in a way that was more familiar to our ancestors that also is something that could happen? Like, uh, so that's that's the book I'm trying to write is about native futures and also like how indigenous practices uh, are can kind of like what will help heal the planet are the only thing. But yeah, climate change and, and weird science fiction are, are my main things. I love my job. I have the best job. I work for the 100% Campaign, which is a coalition of all of like the major environmental uh, nonprofits in Minnesota. And I get to do such cool work of storytelling, uh, making videos, commissioning artists to do work about climate change that really repositions it from talking about like polar bears and numbers and like doomsday stuff to talking about how we love our grandchildren and like, we're going to make a world that works for them, that they can live in uh, where they can prosper. And I think that's so important. Like, I don't think people are ever going to care about climate change if we just keep on talking about the science of it. Well,
2: thank you very much for sharing uh, your story today um, and you know, best of, of, of luck and best wishes with all your future endeavors.
0: Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Be great. Ashley. Goodbye. <laughs>
2: Well, again, I, I like the the whole aspect of you know being vulnerable on social media in order to you know deeply connect with people. Um, it's something I've I've <laughs> shied away from because you know it's it seems like you're putting too much out there, but some for some people it really helps.
1: It is hard to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I know on when we talk here and on native lights you know when we hit those vulnerable points i feel like Mm -hmm. it's difficult but it's some of those more necessary conversations too
2: so thank you to ashley fairbanks uh, uh anishinaabe artist organizer and digital strategist uh who grew up in south minneapolis and she now lives in san antonio texas
1: And if there's someone you'd like to hear us catch up with, or if you have comments about the show, please send us an email at nativelights org, or find Minnesota Native News on Facebook or Instagram.
2: If you want to hear this episode again or listen to past episodes of the show, you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. Search for Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine in your podcast app. I'm Cole Primo.
1: And I'm Leah Lem. Miigwech for listening.
2: You go up, man.